This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. It seems logical to say that gaining the upper hand on poverty should make us much less anxious. After all, if we don't have to scramble for food, shelter, or clothing, we should be much less stressed. And if we have time and money for recreation, we should be even more relaxed and at ease. But at last check, the United States was the richest country in the world, by nearly any standard. And at last check, the same United States was objectively the country that experiences the most anxiety. So why is that? Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're midway into chapter 6. It's here that Jesus gives us the correct prescription for handling anxiety. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34, and we're going to learn how to avoid anxiety. Jesus says this, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So church, what we have here is a threefold strategy for handling anxiety. First of all, we must understand the sovereignty of God, verses 25 through 30. And that's why Jesus builds his case on the divine character. And the first one of these that we need to understand is the sovereignty of God, verses 25 through 30. Look at how Jesus starts verse 25, for this reason... Now, anytime we see that expression in Scripture, we need to know what he was talking about before. And if you go back to verse 24, the last sentence of that verse, Jesus finishes that thought with this, you cannot serve God and wealth. Remember, he's talking about greed. There's a different topic, but he concludes that topic by saying, you cannot serve both God and wealth. And then he goes on to say, now, for this reason, then we understand that these two are connected. And, and here is the connection. Because we cannot serve God and money at the same time, or God and riches at the same time, and we must serve, therefore, God exclusively, we have no reason to worry about the basic needs of life, or about anything else for that matter. When we serve money instead of letting it serve us, like we talked about last week, we allow it to steal our joy, our peace, and even our health. Now, on the other hand, when we trust the sovereign God to take care of us, even if he allows us to experience temporary difficulty, it fills our hearts with peace. 
Isn't that what Paul tells the Romans in Romans 8, verse 28, when he says, All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. So church, what that means is that the difficult season we are experiencing now is meant for our growth and our maturity. In verse 25, literally, Jesus commands, stop worrying, implying that people were already worrying. So what we learn from this is very comforting for us to know that apparently that society also had a problem with anxiety-related stress. And that is true of every culture in the world, some more than others. Why? Because anxiety plagues the human heart. And again, the biblical explanation for that is in Genesis 3. When Adam decided to venture outside of God's provision by disobeying God, sin entered the human experience. And until today, it sabotages our trust in God. And that is the problem. So Jesus finishes verse 25 here with a rhetorical question. And the reason for that is, remember, rhetorical questions are not meant to receive an answer. They are meant to stimulate thinking. And here is the rationale that Jesus presents here. Human life consists of body, soul, and spirit. Or if you want to simplify it, the material part and the immaterial part. That's what he means by saying, is not life more than food? And is not body more than clothing? That's what he means by that. Your life is much more than just your body. There's a spiritual side of you. Food sustains the material part only. Now, likewise, clothing only covers the body. Even though in heaven, the scene we see in the book of Revelation, for example, many people are wearing robes and things like that. That's the glorified body. But what he means by that is this. Food and clothing serve a specific purpose for now. Every person will exist eternally somewhere after the body ceases to function. And according to the argument here that Christ presents, obviously we must focus our energy making sure we know how to get to the right place, how we can get to our heavenly home once we are separated from the body. That's the point here. Thankfully, the Bible clarifies that. Like I said, the author of the book of Hebrews, for example, says in Hebrews 9 verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once. After this comes judgment. Now, obviously, subjects of the kingdom of heaven, they go home to be with the Lord when the body goes to the grave, while unbelievers go to judgment, unfortunately. So those of us who are homebound, we are heaven-bound, we need to spend our time alerting others compassionately. You have a greater need than food. And we need to do this with kindness and compassion. And that is not a very popular message. But we need to tell people you have a greater need than food and clothing. And your primary need is if you are outside of Christ, you need to come to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you will not make it to heaven. So that's the greater need. And that's what Jesus says. Let's understand the sovereignty of God. He has already provided everything we need. And in the process of that, he lets us know that there is a greater need that we need to pay attention to. And Jesus wants us to see the sovereignty of God in action. So he offers two very basic, simple illustrations. The first one is the example from animal life, verses 26 through 27. The example from animal life. And he invokes creation here. And here is the rationale. Nobody teaches animals where to go for food. That's a divine given instinct that all animals have. Adult birds don't wait around in their nests. Instead, they use their divine-given instinct to search for their sustenance, to work for their sustenance. They don't need to stockpile food because God feeds them in His divine sovereignty. He provides for them. Now, 
How do we bring this to our experience here as human beings? Let's not confuse the parallel here. He is not saying that you're not supposed to work because that would violate other portions of Scripture. For example, in Genesis 3, after the fall of man, when Adam sinned, God told Adam, now from the sweat of your brow, you will earn your bread. And that's a paraphrase. And also Paul tells the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10, those who won't work shouldn't eat. Why? Because work is noble, work is good. So that's the point that Jesus is making here. He will provide for you through your diligence, through your hard work, through your sincere and honest work. And according to Jesus' thought process, how much more generous will God be to people who are image bearers of God? You see, birds are not image bearers of God. People are created in a higher order than animals. Why? Because we bear the image of our Creator. Now, Look at the other rhetorical question in verse 27 here. Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Now, obviously, what he's saying is this, and that's the implied answer of this rhetorical question. Worrying about your basic necessities of life actually shortens your life. You can worry yourself to death. Did you know that? You can worry yourself into a cancer situation and even become paralyzed with fear. In church, because of that reality, let me ask you, Is there a more appropriate time to preach the Word of God? Is there a more appropriate time where we need to proclaim to the whole world, you don't need to worry about what's going on because God takes good care of you. All you need to do is make sure you are in the kingdom. You make sure that you are in Christ. Because if you are outside of Christ, you're on your own. And when you are on your own, your knowledge is limited. Your resources are limited. Of course you are going to worry. But when you are in Christ, you are part of the kingdom of heaven and God takes good care of you because He cares for you much more than He cares about the birds of the air. That's what Jesus Christ is talking about here. So, church, again, is there a more appropriate time for us to be proclaiming the Word of God? Then let's continue. We looked at the example from animal life. Let's look at the example from plant life, verses 28 to 30. Again, this is what Jesus is doing. This is a figure of speech. He's using a literary device called parallelism. He's using two Parallel examples. One is the birds of the air. The other one is the lilies of the field, which, by the way, were abundant in the region. And the reason he's using that literary device called parallelism is because both examples serve the same purpose. Namely, to use God's sovereignty as a foundation for his argument. And again, it's simple enough that everybody can understand. It's the sovereign of God in practice and in application. And here is the argument. Subjects of the kingdom of heaven should not worry about their basic need because the Father takes good care of you. He cares for you much more than He cares about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Instead of worrying, church, we are supposed to work for our sustenance, confident that God will provide for every one of our needs. And much more than that, because He's a generous God, He loves to give us more than we need for our enjoyment. And Jesus even invokes the example of the richest man who ever lived, Solomon. And if you've read the Old Testament, you will concur with that. His kingly regalia were not as majestic as the petals of a flower. That's the point. Again, we don't need to overdo the illustration here because they both serve the same purpose. And obviously, Jesus will never win any popularity contest with the people who pray to, quote-unquote, Mother Nature. Because he implies here that humans are much more important than plants. 
How much more is he going to take care of you whose soul is going to live eternally somewhere depending on whether or not you come to Jesus Christ for salvation? And he's basing his argument on a solid foundation of the divine character. So in order to handle anxiety properly, we need to not only understand the sovereignty of God according to verses 25 to 30, but now the second point in his threefold strategy of how to handle anxiety, we need to understand the generosity of God in verses 31 through 33. And he continues the argument here using two commands. You notice that in verse 31 when he says, Do not worry then, saying, Well, shall we eat? Now, that is a command, church. In the original, this is a subjunctive verb. It's in the subjunctive mood, but carries the force of an imperative, which means it's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's not a recommendation. It's an order. And his thought process here, he includes something he's done before. And he says, Do not imitate The Gentiles, that word Gentiles is the translation of the word for pagan. In other words, it's saying you are not supposed to handle anxiety like the world does because you are different, you are distinct, you are my people, you are not people of the world, therefore you don't need to imitate them. Think about this for a moment. In ancient paganism, people would pray to their god of the harvest to provide the crops for them. And these deities never really existed. At best, they were demons trying to play tricks on people. And many of these religions required then, and some of them that are alive and well today, required sacrifices in order to appease the god of the crops, the god of harvest, or whatever. Some of the most grotesque would require human sacrifice in exchange for crops. And the point that Jesus is making is this, that's not who you are. You are not like them. And that's not who the Father is. First of all, you don't need to bargain for sustenance because the Father already knows what you need. And He is committed to providing for you. You don't need to do any of this. In fact, you don't even have to inform God of your needs because He already knows your needs because He is the omniscient God. He knows all things. So even before you even ask God, He already knows what you need and He's already at work providing for you. Now the problem is, if you're not going to work, then of course you're going to experience difficulty. But if you're working. God is going to provide every one of your needs. But you may say, pastor, I'm more sophisticated than that. I'm not a pagan. I don't do any of these things. We live in the age of reason, of enlightenment. We're not idolaters. Oh, friend, I have met people who sacrificed at the altar of the mighty dollar. And maybe you have too. And I've also seen people burning incense, quote unquote, to political correctness in exchange for fame and fortune. But Jesus says, don't do that because you are distinct from that. You are not like the pagans. You are subjects of the kingdom of heaven. You are the light of the world. Remember that. Now, look at the second command in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Now, this command borrows from the fourth beatitude. That's in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So he's borrowing from that in order to communicate the need. But what does it mean to seek the kingdom? Is it hidden anywhere? What does it mean? Now, the key to understanding that, church, is circling that word first. So circle that word or underline that word. He is talking about priorities. Jesus Christ is saying, have your priorities right. In other words, we are to be kingdom-minded people. If you are a believer in Christ, my friend, your goal in life is to make disciples of every nation because that's what Jesus said in Matthew 28 before he ascended up to heaven to the disciples who would be the pioneers of the Christian movement. We are to make disciples of every nation. So that is the priority of the believer. 
When we are kingdom-minded people, God will take care of every need that we have. In other words, gospel advancements should occupy our minds more than the basic needs of life. Why? Because Christ already promised that the Father will provide. Now, Paul presents this principle here in a form of a very appropriate illustration. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 4, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So my friend, my brother or sister in Christ, if you are a Christian, you are a soldier of Christ. And if you are a soldier of Christ, your mission is to do the will of the one who has enlisted you. And the one who has enlisted you has a plan for you. And the plan is you go make disciples of every nation and I will take care of your needs. What that means for us, church, is this. Instead of staying up all night worrying about my basic needs or for anything else for that matter, we should agonize in prayer for the people who don't know Jesus Christ and therefore are outside of the kingdom of heaven because they reject Jesus Christ, the majestic Savior. So that's Christ's promise. You seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, you are blessed because you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Everything else will be added unto you. And Jesus has never broken a promise and He never will. How do we know that? Because it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 verse 6. So based on the solid foundation of the divine character, in order for us to avoid anxiety or to at least deal with it properly, we must understand the sovereignty of God and see how that functions in in, in practice. And Jesus gives us good illustrations. Look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. We need to understand the generosity of God, that He will provide every one of our needs. And we understand that every good gift comes from the Father. So God is sovereign, but He's also generous. And finally here, the third step on our threefold strategy for handling anxiety, understand the eternality of God. Verse 34, understand the eternality of God. That's a, that's a mouthful here. That just means that God is eternal both ways. He was never created. He, there was never a time when God didn't exist. And there will never be a time when he doesn't exist. Now, how do we know that this is the last point of his strategy here? Because he starts this verse with the word, therefore. Or in some of your Bibles, you may have the word, so. It's the same word in the original Greek, therefore or so. Do not worry about tomorrow. That's the conclusion of his thought and the conclusion of his argument. And here's how he supports his argument using the divine nature. Understanding that tomorrow will worry about itself. This is what that means. He's saying God exists outside of time. You see, time is for you and for me. He sees yesterday, today, and tomorrow linearly, not sequentially like you and I do. Because God exists outside of time. He created time for our benefit. And the point that Christ is making is this. You are anxious because you are trying to control something outside of your realm of existence. We don't live in tomorrow. We live in the present. God has provided for you, my friend, the present for you to live in. We don't live in the past. We don't live in the future. We live in the present. That doesn't mean we shouldn't set up goals. There's wisdom in saving for a rainy day. There's wisdom in good investments for you to provide for the second or third generation. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about worrying about tomorrow, carrying the burden that doesn't belong to you. Because he says tomorrow will worry about itself. If we're not careful, we miss the joy of today's reality because we worry about tomorrow's potentiality. And friends... I've done this long enough, and I've been in the ministry long enough to understand that tomorrow's problems usually turn out to be a lot smaller than we anticipate them to be. 
So all I need to do is continue to make disciples of Christ, then God will provide for every one of my needs. And I need to understand the sovereignty of God, the generosity of God, and the eternality of God. Now before we conclude this, let's uh, look at verse 24 again when it says, Each day has enough trouble of its own. What does that mean? Well, that means is this. Troubles are part of the human existence. Now, when you read the Bible from, begin- from the beginning, you will notice that from Genesis 1 all the way through Genesis 3, there were no troubles. How do we know that? Because God says every day of creation, he would pronounce creation good until he created uh, men and women in his image. And he says, it's very good. There's no trouble. Why? Because everything is good. When God pronounces something good, believe me, something is good. Now, when sin entered the equation here, we started having troubles. We started having problems. Again, prior to the fall of Adam, problems did not exist. But since then, each day has troubles that require our attention. Some of them are big troubles. Some of them are not so big troubles. We, we make troubles usually. We make them bigger than they really are. And I've known people who actually make them smaller than they really are. And we've had to say to some people in the past, oh, you need to consider this because this is a huge matter. But what Christ is saying is this. We deal with troubles on a daily basis. That's part of our existence because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where sin is part of the human existence. In fact, it's part of the existence of everything. Everything expires, like we said last week. Everything is going towards chaos. Everything goes towards death. That's because of sin. Now, the problem is when we add tomorrow's troubles to our daily list, we pick up a burden that we're not supposed to pick up. And that's what Christ is saying here. We pick up an extra burden before the appropriate time. So tomorrow belongs to God. And what Christ is saying is leave it alone. Tomorrow belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. Today, what you need to do is seek his kingdom. First do that. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Today, he will provide for you. So that's Jesus' threefold strategy for us to avoid anxiety here. We must understand God's sovereignty. We must understand His generosity. And we must understand His eternality. We need to understand that He exists outside of time. He already knows tomorrow. In fact, if we understand the sovereignty of God, which is the biblical understanding of the character of God, we'll know that not only does He know tomorrow, He preordained tomorrow. That doesn't mess with your free will because you still have to choose where you're going to eat and everything. But what He's saying is God has already determined the days of your life. He knows exactly when you're going to die. Trust God and He will care for you. Now, since the Bible instructs us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that's in Romans 12, verse 2, I thought we conclude today with what I call the anxiety-free alphabet, something I learned this week. Here's how the anxiety-free alphabet goes, and my family and I already committed to memorizing this. You ready for this? A, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. B, be kind to one another. C, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. D, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God. E, every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. F, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. G, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. H, he alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will not be shaken. I, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. J, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. K, know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. L, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
M, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. N, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. O, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body pants for you in a dry and weary land when there is no water. P, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Q, a quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God. R, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. S, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. T, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You, under His wings, you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. V, very truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment. W, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. X, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Y, you are the light of the world. And Z, Zion heard this and was glad. So church, a good way to deal with anxiety, to handle your anxiety properly is memorizing the anxiety-free alphabet. And if you notice, these are all Bible verses. And we need to memorize scripture and have that in our hearts, occupy our minds with seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, understanding that he will provide everything else we need. So join me in prayer now as we pray that God will give us wisdom on how to deal with our anxiety. Father, thank you for your word, Lord, so precious, so relevant for today. Even though, Father, the words of Christ here were recorded over 2,000 years ago, and yet they are like water to our thirsty souls. We have no reason to be anxious. We have no reason to worry, Lord, either for our personal lives or collectively as your church, because, Jesus, you have promised to build your church. And, Lord, we we take great comfort in that promise, Lord. And not only that, Father, we, we take great comfort in knowing that you love us so much. You care for us. We are more important than the birds of the field. We are more important than the natural world, Lord, because we are made in your image. We love you, and we want to continue to honor Christ. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. We're looking for people just like you to join us in spreading the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.